Well, good morning. Welcome to uh, Hope Community Church. Glad you're able to make it here. I know it just, I feel like it snows every, every Sunday, um, but uh, thanks for being here and, and uh, finding a place to park. I'm assuming you did or you wouldn't be in here, right? Um, those of you who don't know me, my name is Brian. I'm on the pastoral staff at Hope, and uh, normally I'm in, in St. Paul and uh, would, would have been preaching there uh, only tonight, but Pastor Steve unfortunately came down with something, and uh, so I got to you know, pull up the left-hander out of the bullpen, and, and so here, here, you're, here you are with me now. Uh, and so it really isn't an inconvenience. Um, I'm normally here working anyways, and, and what I've already, yeah, the sermon was already ready you know, for tonight, so don't, don't feel any empathy or sympathy. It's no big deal. Um, <laughs> Happy to, happy to open up God's word uh, with you. Um, have you ever um, uh, purchased something before? Is that a, raise, raise your hand, yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, like anything, like if, if there's like a, I'm definitely gonna trip over that if I don't know that. Um, if, if uh, whether that's a, a good or a service, uh, you know, we've all, we've all been there, so that, that's why I think the sermon will actually apply uh, to all of us, because I think we've all bought something before. Um, actually, right now, currently, there are uh, several men on my roof um, pressure washing ice dams off the, off the roof. That's always a fun thing, so I've had to purchase that, those goods, as evil as I'm learning that ice dams are, um, so you can be in prayer over my heart over ice uh, at this moment. I am not a fan. Um, but we've all been there. We've all purchased something, and we've bought something. We've, we've gotten something in return for money or a service or something that we've, we've done, and we're going to see that in today's, today's text. We've been in First Peter uh, for the last five weeks. This is uh, week five, and we're just going to dig, dig right into this. There's some, some deep things that, are, that Peter's going to talk about here this morning, and, uh, and so just want just to jump right into this. Um, uh, a couple weeks ago, I was here and I, I quoted uh, Karen Karen Jobs, and just she just kind of does a good job of of uh, summarizing what the whole book is really going to be about. So I just want to read this quote again. It says, "Peter exhorts Christians to engage the world as foreigners and resident aliens. Uh, that we are not made for this world. We've been called to something else, to this new world, a new heaven, a new earth that Christ is going to ultimately make all things new. And so, therefore, we should have a healthy respect for the society and culture in which they live, while at the same time maintaining an appropriate separation from it. And really, for the last four weeks, it's all been about kind of that that first part of this of like, man, this is this is who we are as believers. This is our position in Christ. And now Peter's going to kind of shift. He's going to start to change gears here a little bit and look at, okay, what does it mean to maintain an appropriate separation from it? And so that's where we're going to be looking at uh, today. In 1 Peter chapter 1, looking at verses 13 through 21, and just the sermon called Hope and Holiness. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to do, I wanna, just want to read through these, these verses and uh, so I'm just going to read, I'm not going to comment on them, but we're going to then go back and, and comment on them. He says this, Therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. 
For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him, you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. That is where we are going to be this morning. As we look at this, I'm gonna put my Bible down. I grabbed the wrong one. It's way too fat, and it's just gonna get in the way of things here. I don't, thank you, Darwin, I appreciate that. All right, uh, the last, uh, last couple of weeks, we're gonna, I wanna go back in here and look at, this, this is a run-on sentence, okay? So this is gonna be verses three through 12, all right, that he's gonna go on, but when we look at the passage we just read, it says, therefore, all right, so the, the first phrase, and this is kind of a cheesy way to look at scripture and read things, but when we, every time we get to the therefore, you have to ask the question, what is it therefore? All right, what is the therefore therefore? All right, and so he goes all the way back to verses three through 12, right? And so everything that he's about to say in all the, in the verses that we just read, it's predicated on what he's already told us, what we've gone over the last three weeks, and so I'm just gonna read it, or I'm just gonna read where we've been. I even wrote here in my notes, don't preach, just read, okay? So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna read. I'm not gonna make any comments on it, okay? I promise, okay. You wanna know what we said about that? You can go online and listen to it. First Peter 3, uh, 1, 3 through 12 says this. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the predication. Everything points back to that. Those, that verse right there. Verse four, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all of this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come to the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him, now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who spoke of the grace that was to come to you searched intently and with the greatest care, trying to find out the time and circumstances to which the Spirit of Christ in them was pointing when he predicted the sufferings of the Messiah and the glories that would follow. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you. And when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So that there, that therefore, that predication, everything that we're gonna spend the remainder of the time is going back to all of this, all right? Uh, when you look at a, at a house, I was trying to find like a good graphic to like mark up and do the, and I couldn't find one, so it's, just, it's a house, okay? It's a nice house, it's a nice house. Probably doesn't have uh, roof dams, right? Uh, it looks like a pretty, pretty sturdy house, right? Um, when you look at a house, right, what, what is the, the hands down the most important thing when you're, when you're looking for a house, right, anybody? It's foundation, right? Uh, that any, everything, everything is dependent on, if, is this a good foundation, all right? So when we look at the foundation, just a, a quick question, can you see this, 
Right? Is, this, is this something that when you're driving by, you're like, man, check out that foundation, right? That's a good one. Not, you, don't, you don't do that, right? Even, even in my house, it was built in the 60s, um, has, has roof issues, right? Already know that. Um, I, a, little angst, a little angst right now, okay? Um, but the foundation, right, I, th- I think it's fine, right? I, I don't know, right? I think I would know if it was really bad, right? But it's covered in drywall and two-by-fours and insulation and all that stuff, right? Nobody sees the foundation, Right, but what we do see are the walls and the structure that, that we, we can look at as we drive by a building and say, wow, that's beautiful, or I like the, the masonry or the painting or, or whatever it may be. That's what we see. Um, however, when a foundation is really bad, you can, you can actually drive by, though, and go, wow, that house's foundation is messed up. Right, we, uh, when we were looking for a house, we bought a house a year and a half ago. No, it has ice dams. And... Uh, <laughs> And um, three and a half hour minimum, you got to pay for that. You know what? Man, what? Uh, when we looked at a bunch of different houses, right? And, and listen, I'll take ice dams any day over broken foundation. Because <laughs> when, you, when you go into a house and you see a house that just is, it's the, like the basement, the walls, like the, the blocks are, are falling into the house, right? Or you see these like extra support beams, you know, that are being propping up the whole, it's like, yeah, no, like I don't, I don't want that. Actually, the, the church that, uh, that I preach in every Sunday night over in St. Paul, First Baptist Church, this building was built uh, in 1875. And, uh, and it's, it's a beautiful building, right? And you would drive by that building and go, yeah, it looks, looks great, it looks solid. I mean, obviously it's super old, and so therefore it's already kind of stood the test of time, and, and that's great. However, uh, if you go inside and look at the walls, and you look at the the, the stained glass windows, particularly in the back left corner, my left, uh, it just sinks. Or you can look at the balcony, and it should be straight, and it just takes a curve, right? And it shouldn't do that, right? And so here, this is this, I don't know, this picture, a recent picture. This is an old picture, right, of probably taken back in the 40s, or because I know they redid the steeple uh, in the 50s, 1950s. And, and that steeple, as you can tell, like the, the stonework used to go all the way up to the, the roof line, right, the top of that, and then the steeple went up twice as high as the church, right? The problem was they didn't have the technology to dig down as deep as they should have, and, and that whole thing just started to sink. So in the 50s, they said, no, we got we to gotta take care of this, okay? The, the foundations, it's a safe building. Like, you can come, and it's fine, and <laughs> it's really... It's just that one spot. And now it's got steel girders that go all the way down to the bedrock. Now it's, it's good. It's better than it was before, right? And then it, it was brand new, all right? So when we look at this passage, what, what Peter is doing here is he's saying this foundation, the first three through 12, that is the foundation that we have to remember that everything else is predicated on the fact that we are chosen pilgrims. We are begotten by the Father. I'm just using his language. We have this untouchable, secured inheritance that's in heaven and the greatness of our salvation. That's everything that we're about to read is grounded on this. So what are the walls and structures? What do people see even in our lives? It's this godly living. So what is this godly living? And I wanna maybe rephrase it this way. The foundation is what God has done for us in Christ. The walls and structure, what people may see or how we should live our lives. How do we, how do, we do this? And I, I love what Jesus says about this. Uh, he believes this to be true, that the foundation is incredibly important. And he tells this parable of building a house on the sand. He says in Matthew 7, 24 to 27, 
Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, everyone who, who hears that I am proclaiming to be the Messiah, that we can be united, that we can be one. If you hear these words of mine and put them into practice, it's like a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it has its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house in the sand. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against that house and it fell with a great crash. And this is why we sing the song on a regular basis on Christ the solid rock I stand. All other ground is sinking sand. And another part of that verse is my hope My future hope that Peter echoes over and over is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and his righteousness. Everything that we do as believers is founded on the freedom and the blessing and the joy and the goodness that we have in the blood of Christ. And as long as I have breath in my lungs and Steve and Cor and Drew and John or any pastor that may come through or elder that may preach from this pulpit, if we ever change that, run for the hills. If we say anything, that your salvation has anything to do with what you can do, leave. You just get up, just get up and walk out. It's not what Jesus teaches. It's not scripture. It's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. But yet, Peter's gonna say some things. Like, be holy. So let's do that. Let's dig into this a little bit more. He says this, set set your hope. He's gonna use that language again. Just look forward, look forward to Christ. Look, Look forward to his return. Set your hope. He says, therefore, as minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace that he brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. All right, the, the main verb that Peter is saying here in this passage is set your hope, and everything else falls under that. So maybe a different way to read this would be set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming, and do that with minds that are alert and minds that are sober that we need to set our minds constantly on this future hope that Jesus Christ is gonna come and he's gonna set all things right. Another thing that we see here is that we're waiting for something. We're, We're waiting for Jesus to come back. And so we could maybe term it this way, that we've already been redeemed, but yet we're waiting for redemption. I've already been declared holy and righteous by Jesus Christ. And to use this redemption language of purchasing something, all right, Martin Luther calls this the, the great exchange. I love that, that there, was, there were goods that were being exchanged that Jesus said, I'm gonna take my righteousness and I'm gonna give it to you and, the, and, and in return, I'm gonna take your sin. And so in that moment, I'm justified. It's as if I've never sinned. My sins are taken as far as the east is from the west, but yet, I still sin. But yet, I am not as holy as God so how do we move forward? I love how First John talks about this, about this idea of waiting. See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called the children of God. You can't be unchildrened from God's family. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. 
and what we will be has not yet appeared. What we will be, something's gonna come, something's gonna change when, when Christ comes back, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is, and everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. We set our hope. He used this phrase of, of don't, be, don't be ignorant. He says, as obedient children, now that I'm, I'm in the family of God, as obedient children, I, I've got a toddler. I, I make sure that anytime I actually ask him to do something and he does it, I, I mean, I'm in awe, right? I'm just, yes, yes, that's what you're supposed to do as obedient children, that we love our father most of the time and we want to obey him. He says this, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. Don't go back to the way that you once were before you were in Christ. When I was in college, I took a, a philosophy class. Um, and, and I took it as a freshman, but it was a senior level class. I had no business being in there. I don't know how, how I got through the registrar's office to, to do it. I, don't, I have no idea what happened. I mean, there was another Brian Silver in the, in the school or something. I don't know what happened. But either way, I remember going into that class, this philosophy class, and, and they started talking, and I, and I didn't know what was happening. And I remember just sitting there and just being like, I thought, is this in English? Like, what is, I didn't realize we're studying like ancient, ancient Greek right now. Like, I didn't know what's, what's I don't know these names, I don't know these words, I don't know, this is before Google, right? I couldn't just look things up all of a sudden to figure out what words they were saying, right? It would have been foolish. It would have been ignorant of me to after taking that class, I probably bombed it, I don't remember, right? But after suffering through that class, then at the end of the, of the, of the next semester, whatever, to, to sign up and go to the registrar and say, man, I really liked the challenge of being in a class that was way over my head. No, it's, it's foolish. Unless you're like a really good student, you like that kind of thing. I didn't, right? That would, have been, that would have been really foolish. But what he's saying is don't go back to the way you were before Christ, don't be ignorant because now you know better. In Ephesians, he says, you've been set free for freedom's sake. You've been set free to be free. Therefore, don't go back and submit under the yoke of bondage, of slavery, to sin and the flesh and the law. So now he then says this, be holy. Verse 15, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. I love the word that's used here, but just as he who called you. That word in the theological world, and it's just kind of ironic, because just this Thursday we went over this theology and systematic in our, in our Leadership Development Institute. But there's a general gospel call, right? We do this every single week, that we want everyone to hear, we want everyone to respond. But the theological term is this effectual call, that there are certain people that everyone's gonna hear what I'm saying today, but there are people that will respond. They will be changed, they will be called, they will be chosen to say, I want my sins to be forgiven. That is the effectual call. And so what he's saying here, right? It's not just a, a general call of, hey, Hey, you guys, uh, that was the only thing that came to my head. It's not just this <laughs> general thing. It's a specific, no, I'm, I'm, I'm choosing you. 
And so therefore, our call and command to be holy because he is holy is predicated again on the fact that he has already called us, that we're in him. Where does Peter get this? Man, he, he goes, he uses so many overtones to the Old Testament. And this one's just a direct quote from Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, I think it says this five or six different times. Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, Yahweh, your God, am holy. I love what John Calvin says about the holiness of God. He says, hence that dread and amazement with which, as scripture uniformly relates, holy men were struck and overwhelmed whenever they beheld the presence of God. That would men, I don't care who it is, Moses, Isaiah, Habakkuk, when they get an image or see God, they fall on their face as dead every time. Dread and amazement. That the God who sits on his thrones, who created the universe, who created you and formed you in your mother's womb, that he is unapproachable and ineffable light. That he has creatures flying on both sides from the day and night and forever and all of eternity say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. And they go back and forth. That his name is holy. It is perfect unapproachable, separate, distinct, without blemish, without sin. Be holy? I'm, I'm confused. I'm, I'm supposed to be that way? Am I, am I supposed to be holy like that? Jesus says this, Matthew 5, 20, Sermon on the Mount. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. These religious leaders that had books, extra books, with extra hundreds and thousands of laws to help them obey the laws that they were given in the, in the book of Moses. They're given all these rules. And Jesus says, unless your righteousness exceeds that of them, yeah, you're not getting in. You need to be holy as my father is holy. Well, is that, is that the case? Is that, is that really what's happening? Because when we look at this, the only way to be holy is to be called by God. Is to have that foundation that is in Christ. It can't mean be perfect because we're not perfect. That's the gospel. That every single person in this room has fallen short of the glory of God, that we have all sinned and we deserve the payment and punishment for our sins. So be holy. And the only way to be holy, as God says be holy, is one of two things. We can either minimize the holiness of God, we can minimize how holy he actually is and say, well, when God said don't fill in the blank, he couldn't have actually meant that. He couldn't have actually meant that. So there's got to be a way in which that we can bend the rules. Be holy. He didn't mean like in all you do. Yeah, I know Peter says in all you do, but he couldn't have meant that. That's unachievable. And the other side of this that we do is we, we minimize also sin. And this is legalism. This is somebody that says, I can do this on my own. 
And we start building laws and extra laws. And we, we make extra biblical things to say, this will keep me in line with the law of God or the law of Christ and my biblical ethic. And I gotta, I gotta obey this. And either side of this, of legalism and license, it just shrinks the cross. It just says the cross doesn't really affect anything because you can't be holy and you can't actually kill sin. And it minimizes what God and Jesus did on the cross. Can I just say something about legalism? Laws are easy to follow. They really are, right? When you think about it, when they're very black and white, do this and don't do this. It's easy to do. And what it does, it gives you this false religiosity and righteousness that thinks, I'm pretty good. And when you look at people that are over here that say, I, I, I can, there's no way to like not sin, we go, yeah, there is, look at me. I'm, I'm doing it, right? Man, listen, I was a really good kid. Kid, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a good anymore, right? Because I obeyed the rules, I obeyed the laws. We had so many of them. And I love the song that we just sang, I worked my fingers down to the bone. I, I won, I won the Christian Character Award in my high school, huh? Thank you, thank you. I got a $5,000 scholarship to a really conservative Christian college. Eh? That was good. But I had cancer in my soul because I thought I could do something to make God love me more. I thought I could do something to say, man, I'm not like them. God, I'm good. And I didn't rely on the gospel of Jesus Christ to forgive me of my sins because as good as I think I am, I'm not. I'm always reminded of, of Luke chapter seven, where there's this parable where, where a Pharisee, uh, Jesus goes to a Pharisee's house, his name is Simon, and, and then he also, uh, a woman of the city, right? A prostitute comes in and she comes in and she starts cleaning his nasty feet with her hair and, and the tears of her face. And Simon, this religious leader, looks and he says, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. And I love Jesus' response. He says, Simon, I want to question you. I've got a question for you. Let's say there's two people. One, one individual owed $50. Another individual owed $500. And they were both unable to pay it. Neither of them could pay it. It's not possible for the righteous and religious person to say, I'm good. I've got this on my own. They need to rely on the grace of Christ, just like a woman of the city. That we all need Jesus. We can work our fingers down to the bone, but nothing could ever atone. We just sang that. But Father, the Father works his will. I love what the author of Hebrews says, going back to maybe this, this old way of thinking of this idea of holiness, you have not come to a mountain. This is going back to Exodus chapter 19. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and is burning with fire to darkness, gloom, and storm to a trumpet blast or such a voice speaking with words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. And even if the animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned to death. And the sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. That is what happens when you are approached by the holy God of the universe. But you, you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, 
You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written down in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. We are to be holy. We are to kill sin. We are to become more like Jesus, but we do that because of what he's already accomplished. Moving on, we do this in reverent fear. Verse 17, since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, whether Jew or Gentile is what he's getting at, because he's already, he's, he's talking to the church. Since you've, you've already, you already call him father, he says, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. A reverent fear, right? The, the person who lives under legalism just says, I can do whatever I want. And the person over here under, under, under legalism says, I can do it. And we don't have a fear. There is no fear. And you can't just say respect or just reverence. Just have reverence for God because we lose this idea that he is judge of the earth. And we can't just have fear or we tremble all the time. And so it is a reverent fear that we are to have. And I want to give an analogy like this, okay, that we obey traffic laws, most of us, right? We, we do our best to obey a lot of these laws, and there are a lot of them, right? And this is just some, all right? Power down, park your phone, right? Uh, park your phone. I don't know if I've ever uh, done that, but park, right? You d turn your phone off, right? You don't want to text and drive. You don't want to be distracted by our, by our phones that we're supposed to have our seatbelts on. We have two hands on the wheel. I know I was taught 10 and 2, but I think now it's 3 and 9. Is that accurate? I don't, something with safety, I don't know. Um, set your music and your GPS before you go, right? You gotta do all that stuff, right? You adjust your mirrors, follow the speed limit, you keep two eyes on the road, that's a good, that's a good thing to do, right? These are, these are laws that we obey, and if we don't obey them, well, there's a penalty, right? We usually get caught, police officer pulls us over, and we pay, and we obey these laws out of a reverent fear for the consequences that could happen. And if you're hopefully following this thought, and especially the thought of the gospel, I think we would all kind of lean toward license a little bit. That we'd all, all could say, well, but Jesus already paid everything, right? Didn't he already pay for all my sins? So then why don't we just do whatever we want? Why even this reverent fear? Why even try to be holy I want to summarize, because he's going to use fewer words than if I tried to do it, the whole chapter. This is Thomas Schreiner says this. The theme of the paragraph appears in the injunction to live their lives in reverent fear. Because of the inheritance and salvation that believers anticipate, 1 through 12, they should set their hope completely on Christ's coming, devote themselves to holiness, and live in fear. The remaining verses, what we're about to get into, explain why Believers should be fearful, should have a reverent fear, should have the desire to want to kill sin and be holy. He says this, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you redeemed from the empty way of life handed down from you, uh, to you from your ancestors. This word of redeemed here, and I'm not gonna get into the, the Greek specifically, but that, that word there was, a, was language that they would have used 
for redemption during Peter's time. Now, when somebody was a slave, that they could, and they were, if they were ever, ever able to make some, some form of money, that they could actually buy their freedom by selling themselves to another master. All right, so, so that idea of redeem is they're gonna take their money, their gold, their silver, and they're gonna give it to a temple is how they would do it. They would give it to a temple and then they would become temple people. They would become slaves of the God or goddess in that time. And what Peter is saying here is the exact same language. That you have been redeemed. There's been a payment, but guess what? It hasn't been with gold and silver. It's been with the precious blood of Christ. That we have gone to use his language as he's gonna get into more in this book, that we've gone from slavery to sin and death and darkness and we've gone to sin, we've gone to slavery to a good master. That we are still servants of the king and that has been purchased. And so what he's saying in this phrase exactly is to continue in your former way of life is to minimize and make Christ's death of no value. Oh, you're, oh, you're going to go back to the way that you were before? Well, then, then what was the point of all of this? What's the point of Christ's suffering for your sins if you're not going to fight sin? So then he goes on and he says, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect, he was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. And through him you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him so that your faith and hope are in God. And he just goes back again that this is what our hope is. It is in Christ. It is in God. It is in his grace. And yet we ought to fight sin. We ought to pursue holiness in a reverent fear. I want to go back to this illustration. Imagine a, a billionaire paid uh, for all your tickets or, or those of you who, you know, uh, your parents paid for, for all your stuff, right? That's okay, I, I get it. A billionaire says, hey, listen, it doesn't matter what happens. I don't care what you do on the road. No matter what infraction happens, I will bail you out. I will pay for it. It's all taken care of. So we say, well, maybe some of these I wouldn't really, I wouldn't really care, like the two, the two hands on the wheel thing, right? I mean, I, I don't remember the last time I had like two hands on the wheel, right? Speed limit, we can fudge there a little bit. But listen, if we say everything's paid for, but then would we just recklessly go flying around 120 miles an hour in a 35 mile hour speed zone? Probably not, because we have a reverent fear of the consequences that I could actually hurt somebody and myself if I do these things. It's already paid for. It's already paid for, but I have a reverent respect for what God has done for me that I don't take advantage of the fact that he has given me all of this grace. And so we can look at legalism, right? We can say, well, just in case, just in case my foundation's a little shaky here, I'm gonna obey all the laws. I'm gonna obey all the rules, just in case. And I think that way, if that, if that foundation, if it isn't really only Jesus, well, then, I, then I'm still safe. But then the other side of this just says, well, it's paid for. I can just do whatever I want. And we lose. We lose the cross. We say it's not worth it. It's not good enough. And I can do whatever I want. And I want to end with Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 4. Peter says this, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning 
so that grace may increase. They're saying, well, I can do whatever I want. And if I do whatever I want, well, the grace of God is gonna be increased more and more and more because, man, I've got a lot of sin, therefore his grace is gonna be more prominent on me than this guy. He says, by no means may it never be. God forbid, is how the King James translates that. By no means we are those who have died to sin. How can we live in sin any longer? Yes, we've been set free, but why would you submit under that yoke of bondage? How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death and we were therefore buried with him and through baptism, baptism into his death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life in light of the cross that we have now a desire and a reverent fear to kill sin and to be holy. Not because God's not actually that holy. He's not asking for holiness. And not because we can actually achieve it, but because he already did for us and he enables us and he empowers us to fight it. And we want to. But not all the time. I don't always want to fight sin because I'm a sinner. So I close with this. Are you pursuing holiness with a reverent fear of God? Do we shrink the cross? Maybe as I've been talking, there have been something, that, that sin. Maybe it was specific. Maybe the Holy Spirit just said, hey, that thing, that's what I'm talking about. I want you to kill it. But I don't want you to kill it on your own. I want to empower you. Matter of fact, I'm going to empower you through a Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is the same Holy Spirit that empowers you and enables you to kill it, to put it to death, and be free. Are you pursuing holiness with a reverent fear of God? And finally, is your hope built on the solid rock? This unmovable foundation. He said, no. It's the first time I've hearing this. I, I thought it was, but I don't know if I've ever actually put my faith in my belief as Peter so clearly says in the first 12 verses that I need I to put that on Christ. I've put that on my own shoulders. I, I've been working my fingers down to the bone and I feel empty, I feel broken. Or you say, man, I just don't care. I, me and the big guy upstairs, we're good. We're okay, we've got to figure it out. And I've never put my faith in Christ, the solid rock. Our hope. In a moment, we're gonna sing Rock of Ages. So I want you to just stand with me. We're gonna close in prayer. And as we close, I want you to confess sins that we need to be confessing, whether that's an individual sin or a, or a corporate sin, knowing that it's been paid for. He's forgiven you. And if you say, man, I've never, I've never done this before. I've never believed any of this. Today can be the day of salvation. Today can be the day that I say, I want to give my sin to Jesus because I'm sick of trying to bear it on my own. 
So you bow your heads and pray with me, and then as we close, will you lift up your voices and praise God the Father as a rock that lasts the ages, a cleft for us in times of need. Heavenly Father, you are that rock, and you have given us your Son that everything that we do is founded and established on the rock that will never change, that will never wither, that as Peter's gonna get to, that he is our chief cornerstone, that he is the basis, he is the foundation of everything. The only reason I can kill sin and fight sin or even have a desire to want to fight and kill sin is because of what he accomplished on the cross so many years ago. So God, would you help us to not minimize our sin, to not minimize our holiness, but to view you in light of who you really are, a holy and just God. But you are both justifier and just because of who your son is. And so God, it is in his name that we pray, amen.